Insert theme song here. I'm only happy when it rains. I'm only happy when it's complicated. Bitch, we're back. Welcome to A Warped to Remember. If you didn't know, that was a lyric from Garbage, which Zoe didn't know until this moment, and I had <laughs> I to explain it. I'm tired, okay? I didn't put it together. It's almost midnight, and we're recording our best episode of the month for you. I'm Rachel. And I'm Zoe. And we're here to recap 95 and 96, the first two years of Warped Tour, baby. We're two best friends who talk about Warped Tour, talk about pop punk, talk about our favorite songs, talk about our men's. And we get into some fun facts and some history we didn't know. For context for this episode, I was born in 1995. Sorry, <laughs> come for me. Zoe was three years old. Four. That, oh, I'm sorry. Four years old. That's where we're at. So we're coming into this not having lived it. Nope. But, you know, we got heart. We got spunk. We're here. We're queer. We researched. Zoe researched. <laughs> She's going to take the reins this up. And that's why I gave such a long intro. Take it away, Z. All right. So, yes, just like Rachel said, I was four years old. My favorite artist was Rafi at the time. Oh, and my God. Yeah, baby Beluga Whale. Hello. Dude, Um, there was this really dope Sesame Street song um, <laughs> about trash that actually slapped. And I really want to find it. I really want to find it and clip it out later. It's honestly great. And that was probably my favorite song at this time. Oh, I Alright, so today on a warp to remember, we are going back to the very beginning, the genesis. The nexus. The mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. 1995. I just want to paint you a picture of what 95 was like. Obviously the greatest year because Rachel was born. Thank you so much. I'm a gift. <laughs> but I just want to, for everybody who was maybe like us and in diapers in some way, or maybe not even born yet. Were um, you still I know it was age three. I was four. I was four and I was not in That's worse. That's true. No, I body trained myself very early. Thank you. Okay. But to give some context on 95. So Bill Clinton is president. Yahoo is incorporated. Microsoft just released Windows 95. It will stay on your mom's gateway computer forever. Some not-so-great things about 95. Selena is murdered. Uh, the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. It's the OJ trial, y'all, with the infamous gloves. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Of course, he was subsequently found uh, guilty. Not guilty. Um, <laughs> well, Freudian slip. So. It was a huge heat wave in the Midwest in the middle of July and August, which is going to come in really important here in a second because this was a summer tour. Wow. But I say all that just to paint us this picture of where we are in time. So I love when that. I say Warp Tour was born in this era, we had this idea of a lot of big things happening. Also, Friends premiered in 1995. Friends premiered. There we go. Right? A lot of pop culture things happening. A lot of... Uh, Political, political, and some really tragic things happening in this year. But also, we're still all reeling from Kurt Cobain's death in '94. Yep, exactly. So, I don't think we were over it, right? So the, I don't know if we're over it now. There we go. The grunge scene is trying to figure out its place, and is does it continue? Does it morph into something else? Well, enter Kevin Lyman, the founder of Warp Tour, who says, "I'm going to create a punk rock summer camp," and that's what he did. And so the Warp Tour 
started in August of 1995. Um, I, I looked, so this deep dive of research was uh, as much as I could kind of find through a couple of hours uh, surfing the net. So, um, you know, I mean, fact check me, go for it. But uh, from what I found, it started in either, either Salt Lake City, Utah, or Boise, Ohio, Idaho. <laughs> Boise, Idaho. Um, on the beginning of August of 95. And we don't have solid dates on that? Um, I struggle, like I said, I struggled oh. to find after it, I honestly believe that all the pop punk burnouts of the 90s who are now parents of like six kids do not fucking remember what no. city they were in in no. August of 1995. No, do you remember so, what on August 4th, 1995? Was it Idaho or Utah? Who knows? They're basically the same state, right? I was in diapers in San Jose, California, baby. There you go. The tour, the first year of this tour lasted for just about a month. The last tour stop was on September 5th in Irvine, California. That's a short little baby tour. It was. It was so sh- I didn't realize it was that short. It was like a month. They went everywhere. They went to Colorado, Texas, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Virginia, New Jersey, Massachusetts, New York, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, and they had two Canadian stops. Whoa! Toronto and Vancouver. Well, and that's actually fucking huge considering that they just kind of sprung up out of nothing. Yeah. To not only do a tour that's a month long out of the blue, I mean, I feel like any normal person would have done like, let's do like a three day weekend. (laughs) But they did a whole like month and some change. Or just under a month. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention to the dates. I'm sorry. (laughs) But like August to September multiple stops around the U.S., and not just one fucking area. They hit it all, and they hit Canada. That's super impressive. Yeah, I was impressed that they did Canada, because I, for me, that, that showed that Kevin Lyman was already thinking globally about yeah. the tour, and already thinking about how do we, you know, how do we reach as many people as possible? Kevin Lyman affectionately called it the punk rock summer camp and it really was that i mean they went on the road probably with like maybe a couple tour buses but most likely those like big vans Mm -hmm. you know and you'd haul your gear behind you and it was hot like i said it was a huge heat wave in the u.s so like it's hot it's sweaty it's dirty nobody has done this before i bet everyone smelled so bad so bad oh i mean like probably nobody pop punk boys smell all the time But especially in the summer, and especially in a tour bus, I can only imagine. What a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Um, Tickets for this first year were only about $25, which I don't know what that would be like. Well, I guess with inflation, when I was a kid, they were 40 bucks. Yeah. So it's essentially, like, which is pretty impressive that they were able to keep tickets kind of kind of low. Yeah, like, you'd probably have to save up a little bit from your shitty high school job. Exactly. But, like, you could afford it. It was doable. Yeah. Absolutely. The really big part of this work of Warp Tour and the reason why it came about was because it was supposed to be, and it was for the first couple of years, although I do feel like this trailed off in the later years, it was supposed to be a big mashup festival of live music and pro skaters, yeah. skateboarders, and bikers. Hell yeah, it was supposed to be X Games. It was. <laughs> X so Games cool. actually started in 95. Yeah. So it very much, like, um, you know, Kevin Lyman is out here really trying to grasp this, like, huge... Um, Youth market, yes, number one. Very much what all the kids were into, of monster trucks and skaters and then punk music and just put it all in one place 
for you to just like go and just like right before school starts except right in august of all times or right when school starts i don't know yeah which i found interesting um yeah the original poster for this first year um boasted a giant climbing wall which can you imagine just a bunch of drunk like 18 year olds trying to climb 16 year olds (laughs) (laughs) the liability must have been just insane yeah um also a monster half pipe and a street course so that i guess you could like bring your board and like boys are crazy i know boys are crazy right it definitely feels like here's what we're gonna do we're gonna go in the middle of fucking nowhere (laughs) in the hottest month of the year We're going to put a big-ass rock wall up, and then we're going to get a bunch of dudes on bikes to do fucking wheelies, and then we're going to get some drunk 16-year-olds to try and do an ollie all day, and then let's get, like, I don't know, no FX to fucking scream at everyone while it's happening. That's it, baby. That's That's the money. And it worked. It It did. I mean, it's brilliant. First year, there were 21 bands uh, scheduled, and the headliners were Quicksand, L7, Sublime, No Use for Name, Orange 9mm, Fluff, uh, Face to Face, Seaweed, Sick of It All, No Doubt, um, and then the uh, the other bands that came on and probably like maybe didn't do all the dates, but mm-hmm. were around were. Uh, into another tilt, CIV, gutter mouth, dime store hoods, swing in udders, which is probably my favorite. They're still making music, by the way. Wow. I've never heard of them until now, but I love that. That was my nickname in high school too. That's so weird. <laughs> you should uh, get some royalties on that. Uh, Red S, Wizzo, Supernova, The Grabbers, and Good Riddance. Dude, what a journey we just went on. Right? Vernacularly. Yeah. I, out of all of those bands, I mean, uh, Deftones, Face to Face, Gutter Mouth, L7, No Doubt, No Use for Name, and Sublime are, are, are yeah. bands that really, like, stood out for me within that lineup. Yeah. I mean, they're still playing now. Yeah. For the most part. They're so fucking famous. They're getting fucking royalties. At least in Sublime and No Doubt, I can vouch for. But, I mean, Deftones set the scene for so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty bonkers. A lot of those bands, I think, were lost to time for me, generationally. Yeah. But the fact that it's still pertinent and a lot of those bands were just like playing next to a half pipe in the heat of August in Idaho. And then now they're where they're at. That's wild. I mean, I want to know what Kevin Lyman's like pitch to these people was because Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine that he had a lot of like seed money to go do this. In fact, uh, there's a a great quote um, from a uh, New York Times article that talks about um, that they had, it was so low budget for that first year uh, that Kevin Lehman had to go to the supermarket and just like buy as many hot dogs as he could to try to feed everybody. And one day Sublime singer uh, Bradley Noel's Dalmatian urinated on all the buns. So like, (laughs) so, you know, no dinner for that night. What a story. (laughs) That's the kind, and like, I mean, you, that, I imagine, like, honestly, when I first read that, I removed Dalmatian from that sentence, and I 
legitimately just believe that the lead singer of Sublime got drunk pissed and just, on like, all pissed the on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because that just seems like really like what the vibe was like it was just rough and tumble no money i mean i can't imagine that any of the bands made money except maybe off their merch i guess if you're these young bands and you really don't have a following and you're like this it's for the exposure all, yeah it's yeah. very much for the exposure lyman himself said that he felt like the community of punk rock um was always kind of fragmented and one of the reasons why he wanted to put the tour together was to bring the community together we had just come off of cobain dying and like all of this all of these things within the genres were kind of just like falling apart or, or kind of coming together in odd ways. And here's this opportunity to get on a ticket with a bunch of other up and coming bands and go just kind of like fuck around for a month. Well, and I think it's the most pop punk shit of all time of like, even if they made nothing and they like a hot dog a day, yeah. it was something to do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the most pop punk thing I could think of like, Hey, it's fucking sweaty and you're not going to get paid shit and you're all going to smell bad. And uh, you get to play for a bunch of, shitty kids yeah and they're like yeah hell yeah because that's that's it that's the dream you get to go fucking play and it's something to do yeah. and you have an audience and then dudes are fucking doing kickflips next to you what a <laughs> dope way to live yeah it must have been a wild time. i mean honestly it sounds a lot of fun i uh out of the th- the uh, out of all the bands there were only three that included women and i really feel for the women in those bands because i cannot imagine oh, no no uh, like <laughs> As much as I preach, like, gender is a construct. Yeah. Yes and no. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I cannot imagine. Because, like, there's just, like, a level of hygiene that I feel like you need to just be able to, like, keep as a woman. Yeah. Just, like... Well, and not to be a downer, but I feel like, too, it's, like, women in the military are always targeted. The rates of which they're assaulted and just, like, have a shitty time. So, I hope to God no one was assaulted. But, I mean, just being, like, three out of 21 bands. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. that was literally three women total. Oh. Because you know all those bands aren't yeah. women. Um, so, like, three women out of 21 bands worth of dudes. I just feel like the vibe couldn't have been that great. I hope it was. I would love yeah. to be proven wrong. But I just can't imagine that environment all day or day of, like, the, like, casual misogyny of the 90s, but also the casual misogyny of punk and pop yeah. punk. Um, must have been... Sh- fucking tricky well and i feel like as you know if you were one of those women you would probably i don't know if they must i i would have felt like i always had something to prove yeah or i would have turned it like tried to be like you know like uh, try to be like one of the bros like well, one yeah, of the guys. wasn't no doubt like the fleetwood mac of ska yeah. <laughs> like when stefani dated like every dude in that band did she not probably. and i'm not slut shaving in any way i just i feel like she dated at least two of them and it was awkward and they still tore yeah <laughs> and they're still buds um, so I think it was like, if you can't beat them, join them. And if you yeah. can't date them. Right. And also I think it is summer camp. I mean, it's a small pool of people yeah. and you're all stuck together. Like, why wouldn't you date each other? It's like theater kids. Exactly. Exactly. So no right. shame. I, I mean, just, they're, right. yeah. they're all music kids. Like they're out here just kind of trying to get by. Maybe one of the reasons why it helped these bands with women or, or just like the bands in general is because warped from the very beginning um i said there were headliners and there were there were bands that like were more well known but there was never like a one headlining stage yeah they were all kind of equal to an yeah. extent i think they would kind of mix up like who played what set time every day so you wouldn't always be first up you always wouldn't be last like you mm-hmm. would get to kind of um move around is it from first to last a pop punk band it is uh, yeah sunny <laughs> moore also known as skrillex oh boy yeah 
Oh, yeah. Um, which wow. they played. I'm Whole other episode. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, we get into that one day. <laughs> yeah, 30 minutes on stage. So you had 30 minutes to go out there in the heat of the day and just, like, do your thing in front of a bunch of people who probably didn't know you, but I who were so jazzed that. to be there because, like, mm-hmm. exactly what you are saying. Like, we're just going to go out in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be dusty and it's hot. It's something to do. Yeah. And it's something cool to do. Absolutely. I love that. I love that everyone got 30 minutes. That's actually, like, weirdly pragmatic. It is. Again, I really, like, we're definitely going to talk about Kevin Lyman in, in depth at some point because he's a really interesting character. Um... In a good, in a good, in good ways, but uh, I, I do like. I, I wonder how, like, if he knew it was going to be successful, mm-hmm. or if he was just like, let's try this and like see how it goes, because it was the first real touring music show uh, or band like summer show, um, because it its predecessors are like Lollapalooza and Lilith Fair and Woodstock you know, all, like, insanely prestigious, in ways, music festivals, mm-hmm. but they were always in one place. And, like, Coachella now, Coachella just happens in Coachella Valley, that's it, for two weekends, you know? But he, Kevin Lyman was trying to put on basically that same... Yeah. That's a really great point, because when I think of the famous festivals, I mean, it's, like, a weekend. Yeah. And even now, I mean, Outside Lands is pretty huge. They get a really great turnout, but that's San Francisco for a couple days. Yeah. I can't think of something on that level that tours to the amount of places that Warped yeah. does. Warped is truly unique in that way, I think. It is. And if there are other tours, they clearly don't matter to me, so they're not important. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the longest running touring uh, music mm-hmm. festival in the US. Oh, no. And no, no. honestly, that makes sense probably to me. in the world. Um, which Eurovision. Is... <laughs> I would love if Eurovision toured. Could you imagine if there was like a pop punk Eurovision? Where's that sketch? and it's successful which honestly probably surprised a lot of people maybe including Kevin himself yeah the largest change that's gonna happen between 95 and 96 is of course the van sponsorship which will stay through the tour until the very end Um, so in 96 uh, Steve Van Doren who uh, was the owner like a the Van Doren, so Van Doren, so Vans, mm-hmm. uh, shoes, it's a shoe apparel company. Yeah, it founded in San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They invented the waffle sole, perfect for skating. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did not do research, I just knew that. No, so I'm be so impressed, not- <laughs> listeners. Steve Van Doren wanted to go out and put on an amateur skate contest. Um, that would travel the U.S. and potentially go globally because nobody but Southern SoCal skaters have vans, mm-hmm. and he wanted to market vans. Uh, and what better, like, partner to do that with than this brand? You know, like in a sophomore year, brand new, essentially uh, music festival that catered exactly to the same crowd of people: skaters 
punk kids, you know, anybody who's a little edgy, who's not, you know, your norm core, who's out here. So Steve Van Doren approached Kevin Lyman and said, what if we team up? I have some, you know, capital. Mm -hmm. I'll help you. And they, it's been fans worked here ever since. I love that. For 96, the band list, like, doubled. All of a sudden it was like, which is so impressive that it grew that fast within two years. Yeah. And I'm sure part of that was like they had maybe more money to play ba- to pay bands, but it is impressive that within a year it just it grew. Do you know big. how many stages there were per year? Like the first year versus the second? Yeah. So there's only one stage for the first year. That's what I thought. The second year they had two. And I feel like as they grew, they maybe added another stage depending on locations. I mean, yeah, because by the time I was going as a kid, there were five stages. Yeah. And it was, like, stressful, because you just prioritize who you wanted to see when, because there were so many fucking bands. Right? Yeah. Um, At least five stages, maybe more. I have a poster at my mom's house I can bring from 2010 (laughs) that lists out all the stages. stages. I'm trying to remember the the year I went. Um, But exactly. So the second year, they do have two stages. The second year, the bands get, uh, they really level up with who they brought on. Uh, So the big names, of course, are 311, Mm Blink-182, Beck. Uh, Limp Biscuit played the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yes! <laughs> I stand the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. No Effects, Pennywise, Dance Hall Crashers, who we mentioned last week, uh, Goldfinger. Also, real- Goldfinger was highly recommended to me by my coworkers. They're like, ooh, if you're doing like the 95, 96, you should do Goldfinger. And I was like, whoa. I honestly, they were one of my, I really considered putting them on yeah. last week's episode. Um, real Big Fish as well but then uh, again a ton of other bands so uh CIV played again Deftones played again uh Dick Dale Dog Eat Dog Face to Face played again Far The Figs Fishbone uh My Head Samian uh Sensefield Sunflower Tilt did No Use for a Name do both years or just 95 No Use for a Name they did 95 and then they definitely come back because I'm almost positive they were on like a 2004 or something. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, that's why I initially heard of them is that they stuck around. Yeah, exactly. So, and probably like, obviously, I think a lot of the bands that played in that first year, like no doubt, all of a sudden like had this huge following because they like went to work tour and so they didn't come back the second year because they had shit to do. Yeah. So, but all the bands that like saw the kind of success. Exposure. Yeah, exposure. We're all the word of the like, day, baby. There we go. Wanted to come on back. So Fluff came back again. Gutter Mouth came back. There's, um, let's see, our Alligator Gun, the Aquabats, uh, A Thousand Mona Lisas, 22 Jacks, the Alcoholics. Well, Just, what I love about the format of it, too, is I think a lot of, like, if you're thinking, like, Coachella, Lollapalooza, you're thinking of, like, the big festivals of today, the whole lineup is what draws people in. They're, like, all pretty objectively famous. But what I love about Warped that I really got towards the end, I mean, I like to say towards the end. I mean, I went in 2011. That was the last year I went. But as it got down, like, 20 years in, even then, there were smaller bands playing. Yeah. There are bands of truly all levels. I love that there were more stages added. As much as it was overwhelming to, like, pick what stage you <laughs> wanted, I discovered bands that way. Yeah. Not just through the stages, but through the compilations. And I know that you said the compilations started in 96. Once yeah. bands was attached, they put out a CD. And it was such an amazing way for kids in the scene who really liked a band to then find new bands. Mm-hmm. And in an era where word of mouth was 
so much more valuable than it is now. I mean, word of mouth is priceless no matter what. But I think especially in the 90s, that was really the time to shine of, like, your buddy got you, like, burned you a copy of his compilation. Yeah. And then you all of a sudden know all these bands. So many of my favorite bands I discovered from Warped Tour compilations and from Warped Tour itself. I mean, there were bands that I knew of that I finally saw live on accident. And I was like, fuck, this is it. This is it. So I just love that. And I love that a lot of bands came back the year after. But I also love that Warp Tour was a stepping stone for, like, no yeah. doubt they were busy. Yeah. And they came back to it, I believe. But yeah. I, I love that Warp Tour really is. I think it really is and it really remains a summer camp. Mm-hmm. It really is popping summer camp because you can always come back to it. A lot of bands graduate out of it and good for them. But you're always allowed to come back. Like, it's always kind of a yeah. homecoming of sorts. And yeah. it's a place for everyone to feel like they belong and like the years I went the lineup was great because it was a bunch of new bands it was a bunch of screamo bands that got more popular but it was also I went to see Yellow Card in 2011 mm-hmm. <laughs> their like best song was in like 03 right. and stuff like that I mean sorry to go on a tangent but no exactly like I do feel like there was probably some kind of like mentorship feeling with the bands that had already been through yeah. it well I think so many bands got to know each other yeah instead of competing they could now be like buds yeah and I think a lot of bands understood that camaraderie i mm-hmm. definitely as the years went on think that there's some beef there was definitely some beef some people could not set aside their egos yeah which shocking it, yeah right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> and also i um i should say that the second year was when bands started to not necessarily play um the full time the like the entire festival it started to be more segmented yeah exactly so um, ninety in ninety six the tour started at, at the beginning of July and ran through um, the beginning middle of August. So they they moved up yeah. probably because like you were saying because like August kids is, are out like, of school. school yeah exactly like so they figured out that oh right kids are out of school in July we'll do this in July um, again like it's gonna be so hot and uncomfortable but this is the best time to do it and bands got to start kind of like picking. I think one of the re- also one of the reasons why they had so many more bands so that bands could like if they were doing a show close enough that they could come over and do one or two days of the um, of worked and then like go back into there mm-hmm. which is great exposure for work tour too because then if you had a band that you loved and you were looking through their summer lineup you know you could see that they were coming to your hometown and then like they'd be maybe 30 miles away in a bigger city or something yeah. and you know, for warp tour, and it's like, what is this warp tour thing? And like, you go look it up, and you find out that there's all of these bands, and like, yeah. it's a. I feel like that was one of the reasons why they were so successful was because they were in everybody's backyard in a way. Yeah. Um, and it's al- just such brilliant marketing. Yes, right, and that I mean, I, I agree. And the other part that I was gonna say exactly, you said about the compilation CD. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so smart, and I. It makes sense that there wasn't one for 95 because I do think that's one thing that they weren't necessarily thinking of like, right. Oh, we should plus like, well, and merch is yeah. when space is short and you only have vans and buses, you have to carry merch, you have to produce the merch, yeah. you have to make sure it's not damaged in transit and right. then you got to manage all the funds. I get why that wouldn't happen. I'm impressed that it happened so the second year. The second year. Yeah. I think Warp grew so quickly, yeah. so immediately. I just, it's such a miracle. It's such a brilliant marketing move. But I think also it was a beautiful community moment. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a purely, purely a money grab. I don't know if maybe the founders thought that, but I I think at the end of the day, 
kids were happy to spend money on it and it was you know a huge monetary opportunity but at the end of the day it was community and it just so happened to be so profitable at the same time it's like the perfect storm and that's I think at some point we will talk about more of the kind of profit side of it I uh, I think there would be only like out of the 24 year history maybe like five or six years that they actually like turned a significant profit mm. and they were the later like they were the yeah early 2000s when they had bands like green day and blink at its heyday right. and um when like my kevin fallout boys started coming through these bands that that pulled in people that weren't just in the punk skater scene that all of a sudden yeah. pulled in like more of the mainstream crowd well, and the screamo movement yeah the emo movement the screamo movement the weird fringes rap movement <laughs> I mean, and I think, too, I mean, word of the day, exposure, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, even if you made shit money on the tour itself, the exposure that you received was fucking priceless. Because yeah. all of a sudden, people know who you are, people are following you, especially as social media started to come of age mm-hmm. and come about in the yeah. mid-2000s. All of a sudden, MySpace is a thing, and the MySpace bands that you love are playing in your backyard all of a sudden, and... The bands that you just saw, you can now follow on MySpace and yeah. keep up with, and you can buy merch. Yeah. I mean, and especially with Napster. <laughs> the throwback. The con- I mean, but yeah, but yeah. with like with Napster and things like that, it's like all of a sudden pirating was huge. Yeah. But you wanted to buy your Warped compilation mm-hmm. on the spot. You wanted to buy demo CDs for people on the spot. You got yeah. to meet the bands directly. I don't think there's any better cultural example in our lifetime of something that you could directly interact with performers and literally, like, the lead singer sells you a t-shirt two seconds after he steps off stage. Right. And the autographs and the photo ops, and especially as MySpace was coming about, that was huge, too. Yeah. And the cross-promotion of it all. It's riveting. It's genius. It really is. I mean, they definitely capitalized on something that it's, like, no one knew that we needed, and then once we had work to it, it was like, oh, yes, obviously, this is a great idea. Yeah. Um, I think the compilation CDs again are just such a they're basically like your kind of like spot like curated Spotify playlists. Like yeah. back it's a mixtape. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's just a really sweet mixtape of all your favorite shit from the summertime. Yeah, mixtape and like a yearbook all in Yes. Your Ooh yes. It really is a yearbook. <laughs> I love that. Um but I agree. It Warp Tour really was it, it really was a community and exactly like you know that was that was part of the the deal for for artists who were on bands who were on work tour was that you know they were really uh responsible for getting their shit set up you know being ready and on time to go play and but then also yeah they had responsibilities of you're gonna go to your merch table you're gonna meet your fans and like yeah it's that instant fan connection and that's what's gonna and if you and if you are successful with that fan connection you're gonna be a successful band yeah you know if you struggle with that at work tour like it's just never gonna happen for you yeah i mean it's it's truly the perfect storm it's x games it's comic-con it's a furry convention it's everything wrapped <laughs> into one it's like everything you could imagine it's face-to-face interactions it's merchandise selling it's a convention it's a festival it's a concert hall it's x games it's everything yeah yeah and it's on the road in the summer and yeah just gonna go hang out there was so bonkers right there was a lot of uh and again that camaraderie with the band um the kind of t- talks about the time off is that you know, they'd just, like, somebody would be grilling, and you'd just, like, go hang out and, like, have a burger with, with somebody else in a band, and, um, again, you could really build those relationships. A lot of bands, I think, 
wrote a lot of music on Warped Tour because mm-hmm. there was downtime. Like, I feel like there was a fair amount of downtime yeah. to be had. Um, and so if you, I think some bands um, really capitalized on that downtime. Some definitely did not. I mean, as you can imagine, summer camp can lead to some just like wild, like there are no consequences to my actions because it's summer yeah. camp, like feelings. Uh, but I think for the most part, the people who, again, who were most successful or worked were the ones yeah. that really capitalized on their time. Well, and I would love to look at the statistics of the amount of, cross-promoted bands mm. and like crossed over bands yeah. and collaborations over time because I think as Warped Tour started to come about bands were directly interacting with each other I think beyond like the one or two opening supporting acts you have it's pretty lonely business you're only with your band and then all of a sudden every summer you get to commune with these yeah. people on different labels and you commune with these people on your label and you're just communing yes. with people of the same breed so like I don't know that something like Simple Creatures would happen now. Like, that's happening now would have happened without Warped, because, like, how would All Time Low and Blink even known each other? Right. At some schmoozy event that their managers would have put together, exactly. maybe? yeah. It wouldn't have been as organic. I mean, and so much of the promotion that brought so many bands to fame, because, like, Pete Wentz helped bring Cobra Starship to fame. Right. And Panic! The Disco was brought to fame partially because of Fall Out Boy. Right. And all of these amazing collaborative relationships and like Gerard Way is featured on a Say Anything song. That that whole album has features. Like yeah. Haley Williams, the guy from the Haley one Williams is on In Defense. Yeah. What is she on? She's on Church Channel. That's her? Yes. I uh, never knew that. Yeah. I'm losing my fucking mind. Yeah. I rage that verse every that's time it comes on in the car. It's so I did low. not know that was Haley Williams. Yeah, 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 that's Haley Williams. That's actually fucking mind-blowing to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, that's Haley Williams. Fake fan alert, dude. I'm <laughs> shook. We gotta make a t-shirt. I think Matt on it, too. So, or, no, the guy from... A bunch of people are on it. I think one of the guys from the Mind of My Mind of My Mind on it, too. There's so many people, which, again, I... Yeah, exactly, and I, like, I don't think Say Anything ever... Did Say Anything ever play Warp? Yeah, Say yeah. Anything was on the away compilation, because oh, right. okay. um, Shiksa was on it, which was how I first really properly got into them. That's right, okay. So... He probably, yeah, met everybody on Warped Tour. And, like, you know, you're like, why the hell not? Just, like, yeah. everybody get together. I mean, the cross-promotion and then social media on top of that. MySpace on top of that. Right? So it's, I mean, it was a... I, again, I really wonder when Kevin Lyman knew, like, yeah. this is... I like to think he always knew. I do, too. And I, I honestly... And I think he's that. a smart fucking dude. I think yeah. he knew. I don't think he knew the true extent of just how globally successful right. it would be <laughs> and just how iconic it would be, but I think he definitely knew that it would grow and it would be a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's mutually beneficial for the bands as it is, for the fans as it is for him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I am in your My two last kind of just fun anecdotes, facts about uh, 96. Um, in actually in 97, Airwalk, the other kind of shoe uh-huh. company that I only know through Payless Shoes. I was about to say, I only know from Payless exactly. Shoes, which just went bankrupt. Oh no! What? Payless is closing, dude, all of them. Oh, my favorite pair of boots I got there. Dude, <laughs> I'm kind of sad because I like Airwalks. <laughs> right? Well, apparently Airwalk approached Kevin Lyman in 97 to switch sponsorships. That's hilarious. By offering more money than Vans was at the time, but Lyman turned them down. Which, like, thank God, because you can you imagine? Can you imagine? Airwalks Warped Tour. <laughs> 
like, no. it sounds like something for old, like, for, for, you know, like. It'd be like. Like, life alert. <laughs> it'd be like fucking Skechers Coachella. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. Oh my god, but can it be, though? Because I'm sorry, I'm gonna make loud noises. For I would go to Skechers Coachella in a heartbeat. I feel like that's my kind of speed on Coachella, is Skechers sorry, Coachella. Sorry, opposite of ASMR. Uh, <laughs> um, dude, Skechers Coachella, I would fuck with. I never in a million years want to go to real Coachella no. unless I'm, like, invited as a VIP and they right. pay me. Skechers Coachella sounds like it's in, like, an old Walmart that's, like, air-conditioned, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of comfy seating. Love that. And some just, like, low-key music playing. I think we can make this happen. I think you just kind of explained Jazz Fest. Yeah. But. <laughs> Perfect. There. I'm sold. Dude, I could fuck with Skechers Coachella. Mm-hmm. Who would headline Skechers Coachella, though? Ooh, that's a good question. It'd be like the people who are Train. too exciting for yeah. Lilith Fair. Yeah. But too fruity for Coachella. Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. Yes. Uh, 100%. <laughs> Third Eye Blind, Goo Goo Dolls, but like an acoustic Goo Goo oh Dolls set. Um, <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls. Nora Jones. You were right when you Train. said Train for sure. Train. Train. Nora Jones would show up for some reason. Um, Nora Jones seems super cool. Yeah, yeah, No shade on Nora Jones. She, I'm just saying, she seems chill. She'd totally do Skechers Coachella. Yeah, right? She would, yeah, 100%. Uh, Michael Bublé. And, yeah. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what a dream. Um, the last uh, little fun bit I have is, um, one of the bands, of course, was 311. That, yep. So this was a big... Which we talked about a little bit in the last episode. Yeah, so we've talked about, we've referenced 311, I'm sure we'll talk more about them. Um, but there's a great quote, uh, from the Spin Magazine article, the best, uh, the 96 best alternative songs from 1996, that says, of, when speaking about 311, on the spectrum of white dudes appropriating Jamaican textures, Fugazi claims one pole, the other belongs to Fugazi's one-time opening act, 311, the pride of Omaha. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love it so much, because I, uh, again, (laughs) like... Just any band, you know, it was just, it really felt like any band could show up, you know? Yeah. If you, like, had your shit together enough to be able to play a 30-minute set mm-hmm. with, like, you know, and you knew how to set up your gear, and you knew how to get on and off that stage, and you could go talk to your fans, like, you were welcome here. Yeah. Approach to Warp Tour really stuck through the mm-hmm. whole 24, 25 years, and it also really felt like it transferred to the fans, too, because Warp Tour, especially when I went in 2005... Six. Um, it really felt like this is a place where like I'm not going to be judged yeah. today. Like I can just come and like listen to the bands I want to listen to. I can see new bands I want to. I don't know about. Mm-hmm. Like I can definitely wait in line to like try to meet my favorite you know lead yeah. singer at the booth and like get pictures and like you know. But we're all out here sweating our asses off and like mm-hmm. we're all wearing black because of course it was the mid two thousands and. You know, it's just like it was just a kind of crazy time, and yeah, and it all kicked off with fucking Kevin Lyman buying yeah. hot dogs from the supermarket and saying, that. "Why not?" I love that. Well, and it's like I was talking about in the last episode. It's the paradox of punk. Punk is supposed to be this like very specific, unique anarchist thing, but when punk is done right, it's universally appealing because we all feel like outsiders. We all want to get out of our heads. We all want to do this, and that's what Warped was. Warped was summer camp for weirdos. And when you look at the lineups year by year, some weird fucking bands played Warp. Yeah. Katy Perry got her start at Warp. Yes. And so many different acts have played and are still playing Warped. 
And that's the beauty of it. I mean, I totally agree with you. Like, anyone who's efficient, who's self-sufficient, who's down to clown can be there. Yep. And play a stage. There's a stage for you. It might not be the main stage, but it's the stage for you. Yeah. And, I mean, there's always going to be that precedent of, like, the OG pop-punk faves and, like, that, that kind of vibe. But, I mean, Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. 303. <laughs> Katie fucking Perry. They all played, like, the same year, I believe. Yeah. There's just, you really hit everything. And, like, 311 playing Warped at that time must have been huge. Because I imagine that they were probably heckled by a bunch of the, like, true skater kids. But I can imagine that a bunch of people fucked with it and loved it and moshed for it. Yeah. And that was the nexus of it. That was it. It's such a magical fucking place, man. Yeah, it is. It's a, I mean, it's, I think at some point we'll definitely talk about, like, why it's not a sustainable model in today's yeah. uh, world. But, you know, I think the fact that it made it as long as it did and really established itself is something that um, is really special. And it's really cool that we got to be a part of it uh, yeah. and continue to be a part of it. So we will look at uh, you, the 97, potentially 98, depending on how wild 97 was. Uh, but we will look at the next couple of years of work tour um, in the next couple of episodes. But stay tuned for yeah. Once a month, we're gonna do like a solid history app yeah. and really get into it and get into the nitty gritty. And I'm looking forward to it. This was yeah. fun as hell. I learned a lot. <laughs> I had a good time, and now I want to rage to yeah. more old AFI. <laughs> so go check out um, the Warp Tour compilations. Again, started in two thousand uh, in 1996. Um, that you can still buy them. They're still yeah. available. I think they. I don't think they're on Spotify. No, I don't think. I stream. check your local record store, dude. Yeah. Because I got I own so many CDs that I bought yeah. for two dollars or less that were Warped compilations, yeah. and that was my musical education as a kid. And I had the internet, and I still preferred having these CDs. Having these CDs, it felt canon it felt mm-hmm. like this like very legitimate canon version of like here's what you should be imbibing yeah and it was like that and all press oh, raised yeah. me oh, yeah. in so many ways highly recommend excellent um any final thoughts on the first two years of warp dude we gotta go to usc <laughs> i know i know we're gonna i'm gonna crash a fucking kevin hey. lemon sh- like i almost said show i'm gonna <laughs> yeah, crash I'm sure it basically is like if he doesn't dude. walk into like like uh, fog and strobe lights. Ugh. Like, what are you doing, Kevin Lyman? What are you, what are you doing? I want to crash one of his classes, and I really just want to dip into all the songs we talked about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the bands we talked about. I'm just feeling it, man. If you missed our episode last week, we did look at um, our favorite songs or influential songs from '95 and '96 in prep for today. Um, so if you do want some more musical vibes, go back and listen to that. The episode that we had before was about um, our favorite pop punk and emo love songs. Uh, and so tune in next week where we'll talk some more about our favorites and get into some excellent tunes. And some sweet mems. Some Never forget. Sweet mems. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on A Warp to Remember. Bye. I have here some newspaper, 13 months old. I've wrapped this inside it, it's smelly and old. But I wouldn't trade it for a big pot of gold. I love it because it's trash. Yes, I love trash.